Totally Football Show. Today, Razor Special. Liverpool have close shave with blades but nick something after Sheffield keeper gets a little rash. Elsewhere, Newcastle get cut to shreds. Man City razor cheer with their play up top but too many Brazilians at the rear means Pep wasn't sitting comfortably and all sorts of other Premier League news. We'll round up all the action and solve the Man United question in today's edition of Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Who do we have today for you? Well, this man. Hello. It's me, Carl Anker. Yes. <laughs> Can you guess this one? Hello. It's Daniel Story. It is Daniel Story. And? Actually, I'm not sure about Leicester this season. That's Michael Cox, all right. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, looking forward to your opinions on the Foxes after their runaway win against uh, bold uh, Newcastle. So much to discuss today. Uh, actually, Michael, this let's start with a question for you from Brian. It says, have you considered pursuing coaching, given your vast knowledge of tactics and team setups? I think he's being serious. Is he? I, uh, I don't know if he's being serious. Have you ever considered it? No. Have you not, when you say down at Kingstonian or whatever, have you not thought, I could lend a hand here? Not really, no. I think it's a completely different skill set. It's basically about dealing with people constantly every day which is very much not what i do <laughs> is that right okay okay then all right interesting interesting and also like in all seriousness yeah one of the things i find whenever i speak to someone within football is they just have this massive competitiveness and this massive desire to win right and i think of all the kind of like physical and technical limitations that i have as a footballer my number one weakness would be or, or to go into management i just never cared about winning matches you don't do have the I mean? hunger no I like playing football, but winning or losing didn't affect me. Really? really? Yeah. That's interesting. All right. Well, it, it's, a, it's a big weekend to discuss. Uh, all that Premier League action and down in the National League, probably the, the game of the season, narrative-wise anyway. Uh, we'll come on to that, that Yeovil-Bromley game a little bit later on. But let's start at Bramall Lane for Liverpool's 1-0 win over Sheffield United. Daniel, mm. set the scene, my writer friend. You went along. <laughs> By the way, are you better? Well, I, I ran a half marathon yesterday, which was a ooh, bad ooh. idea. But right, um, yes, I was did it through man flu and general lack of fitness. Okay, but Bramall Lane. Yes, then, sorry. The, <laughs> the, the noise, yes, the rain. The, yes. the, tell us more. Yeah, it was it was it was really funny to walk out the ground after the game because there were just pockets of Sheffield United fans kind of laughing and smiling to each other in kind of disbelief at the blend of both matching and it, in various parts of the game bettering the European champions and also coming away having lost the game because it, it was a really odd odd match in that Liverpool were really poor Mohamed Salah was awful the fullbacks were closed down I thought Fabinho was good but other than that no one really turned up and yet Liverpool missed two or three golden chances and then eventually had to you know had to rely upon a, a a pretty catastrophic Dean Henderson error. It was kind of Taibi in fast-forward mode and the shot was a little bit harder hmm. and it went over the line a little bit quicker. But, yeah, it was pretty catastrophic. Um, and, yeah, Sheffield United were really good. But Liverpool will care not a jot. They have, you know, they are three wins away from breaking the top-flight record for consecutive victories, which is impressive given that Manchester City only broke that record two seasons ago. Right. Klopp will probably care a little bit, though. I mean, for the first time since April, they weren't ahead at the break. And there was a clear blueprint for somebody who's can adopt similar tactics on, on yeah. how to stop them. Yeah, yeah. So basically what Sheffield United did is, I say basically, it's easier said than done. But they told George Baldock, who was playing at 
right back or right wing back to sprint to Andrew Robertson as soon as he got the ball. Basically not let Robertson get over halfway with the ball at feet. And Robertson kept having to turn back and play into defence and turn back and play into defence. And then with Trent Alexander-Arnold, they just said, right, all we're going to do is attack down the left wing. We're not going to try and attack down the right because we think that's where his weakness is. And if we can unnerve him, we can stop him running forward as well. And, and they did it. Liverpool basically started by going direct, which didn't work. Sheffernight was winning headers and headers and headers. And then in the second half, Klopp had to change it. He brought on Divock Origi and basically played this kind of 4-2-4 where he just played the four forwards right up the pitch and just tried to knock the ball on the chance. And they would have survived if it wasn't for Dean Henderson's mistake. So mm. it was really good. I... That was their first shot on target, just to you know illustrate how completely yes, it was. Sheffield had shut them Although down. it should be said that, that Mohamed Salah then missed a one-on-one. Sadio Mane missed two really, mm. really good first-half chances. But Sheffield United had their own chances as well. It was a, it was a really good game and... I mean, a draw would have been a fair result. How shouty is Chris Wilder? I was intrigued by uh, Jurgen Klopp saying he'd never experienced a manager louder than him. Yeah, he is. He's doing a really good job, let's say that. But there is an element with Wilder that he, he is. He's almost a parody in terms of his screaming at his players. He said after the game, you know, I'm not going to console anyone, even the goalkeeper, because we need to be better than that. But then. He also took a bottle of champagne to Jurgen Klopp and, as if to say, great game, Jurgen. So it's, it's a little bit for show, I think. But you can't doubt it. He's getting the job done. Right. Magnificent. Magnificent stuff. And, and as you say, a, a point each might have been uh, fairer. Particularly enjoyed John Egan tackling uh, Firmino with his head. They all count. They do, don't they? <laughs> Michael, what did you make of this game? I agree with Daniel. I think he summed it up very succinctly. But uh, I, I thought it was interesting that the ways that Liverpool tended to get in were were pretty bold and pretty direct. So that um, that the first Mane chance was just a big ball over the top from Van Dijk, which left the Sheffield United centre-backs kind of struggling for pace. But yeah, I thought Sheffield United played some really good stuff. I thought Fleck was excellent with his passing in behind. We've chatted about Lundstrom and Norwood before. They've got some really good technical players in that side. So yeah, I think full credit to them for the way they approached the game. The fact that they've lost three in a row at home, it, should they be worried? No, I don't think so. I think they will... Well, at, at the moment, there are at least three teams worse than them. At the start of the season, that was the aim. Mm. Yeah. The Sheffield United team are a lot better than anyone expected. Uh, I think I was among many journalists who went, oh, yeah, they'll finish 20th. Uh, I am... Uh, well, I was wrong. Well, early days, Carl. Early days. Danny, you wrote a piece on, on how one of the significant things about Liverpool's run is the way that what was once their weakness mm. has become their strength, to wit, performing against... Uh, the smaller sides, yeah. they haven't actually lost to a non-Big Six side now since January of 2018. Yeah, if I can remember the statistics right. So in in that period, Manchester United have lost 10 times, yep. Arsenal have lost 10 times, Tottenham have lost 9 times, Chelsea have lost 7 times, Manchester City have lost 4 times, and yeah, as you say, Liverpool no times, which is, again, as you say, astonishing, because in the first 18 months of Klopp's reign, that was their thing. They would drop points, particularly at home against, and they lost to Swansea, and they lost to West Brom, and they lost to Hull and Burnley, teams that they now just swat aside, and it's very easy to forget how quickly they've improved that. Right. You have a good time, then? I have very painful memories of going to Bramall Lane as a supporter, but it's a lovely, lovely ground to go to as a journalist, because it is... It is, it is a proper, in inverted commas, ground. Brilliant. Liverpool will be up against Red Bull Salzburg on Wednesday night, which uh, may not feature that fixture. Erling Haaland disappointed because he wasn't well enough to play at the weekend, mm. although Red Bull did have a, a big win. We'll be discussing that match and all the Champions League fixtures in Tuesday's Euro edition of the Totally Football Show. In other Liverpool news, they may be thrown out of the Carabao Cup after fielding an ineligible player. 
car. Can you explain that one to me? I believe the registration for the gentleman... Yeah, Pedro Chirivella. Oh, yeah. ...had expired. Oh. Uh, so he's been, he's been on... Liverpool's books for I think three or four years right. and they simply he just never played or they what? sort of like rooted around the cupboard found him played yeah. him and went oh whoops your papers aren't right yeah. uh, he was on loan last season in Spain oh, and right. I think it, it, his registration there expired and Liverpool did, hadn't renewed it effectively but do they actually get thrown out of the cup for that I, I uh, imagine they'll most likely yeah. incur some sort of financial fine I believe there's precedent from Sunderland fielding an ineligible player oh, and right. they got fined instead um, because I don't think the EFL want to give buys to anyone right fair mm. Fair. I wonder if Chelsea will get fined with Kepa as a Belaga for fielding an illegible player. <laughs> That's some gentle humour. <laughs> You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. 16 straight wins for Liverpool. Man City also didn't have an easy time of it in their attempts to keep up with the runaway train that is Jurgen Klopp's side. But a 3-1 victory for them away at Goodison Park. It started well enough with another gorgeous assist from uh, Kevin De Bruyne for Gabriel Jesus this time. Uh, question for Michael here. How can teams stop Kevin De Bruyne doing that, says Lubansa Sharma. Is there any way? I mean, he just seems relentless. Well, I haven't seen any team this season manage to stop him yet. I mean, I think the interesting thing they're doing is he's combining so well with whoever's playing on the right flank, whether it's Mahrez, who I thought was City's best player here, or Bernardo Silva in some of the previous games. And even though they're players who want to come inside onto their left foot, they're really stretching the play and just increasing that gap between the opposition's left-back and left-sided centre-back. And De Bruyne's so good in that kind of position. So how you solve that problem, I'm not entirely sure. It's mm. almost got to the point where you're going to have to deploy a player specifically who plays like a left-sided defensive midfield role just to sit in that channel. But as you say, he wasn't even the biggest issue here in, in, in terms of concerns for Everton because Mahrez was an exceptional form. Yeah, he was excellent. Everything about his game. He played a great through ball for Sterling. Obviously, he scored a wonderful free kick. Um, he was involved in the, uh, the Sterling winner. And also in Jesus' opener, so all three goals, actually. Yeah, he was excellent. I mean, he, he struggled to find his place in the side last year. And I think maybe struggled to understand precisely what was required from him after a few years at Leicester, where essentially he was given a free role. There's no free role under a Guardiola side. You have to be very strict in your positional sense. But yeah, he was excellent here. I thought the best player by far. But concerning performance overall from mm. City, I think. They allowed Everton a lot of chances. I think Everton should have should have scored a couple, really. It was eight shots on target from Everton, mm. which is the highest City have conceded in a long time. Since November 2015. There you go. When Manuel Pellegrini was in charge. Ooh. Yeah. One thing on Mara, it's interesting Guardiola saying after the game that uh, he thinks he's come back differently after winning the AFCON this summer with Algeria. Uh, he's kind of, it's kind of transformed his hunger to win trophies, which probably goes in exactly with what Michael's saying about he was used to having this free role and could just sort of you know, lie around the pitch, whereas you can't do that at City. No. Um, on the subject of Kevin De Bruyne, will you be compiling an 80-minute video of his passes, oh, Daniel? Yeah. That Are we at good. that kind of Michael Laudrup level? He's a bit different to Laudrup, mm. I think, in that the passes quite often are not incredibly well disguised. They're just played so accurately that you can't really do anything to stop them. He's right. now, I saw a wonderful stat this morning, which said he's now on eight assists for the season, which is more than Paul Scholes ever managed in a Premier League wow. season. And the record for the, the entire season is 20, no? Yeah, and, and Eden Hazard, 15, was the most last season. So he's obviously over halfway there with 31 games left, which right. is pretty ridiculous. 
Well, they've scored 27 goals now, Man City, in their opening seven league games, which in terms of that's the most since. We're now up to 1894-95, the last time that anyone... I think that's officially a different era. Yeah. <laughs> but you do raise the question of defensively, with the injuries and absences they have there, and the fact that Fernandinho didn't look particularly solid there, is that going to be their undoing? Will they rectify that in January so it doesn't make a difference? Or what do you think? I, I do think it is a bit of an issue. I mean, Fernandinho, despite his shaky performance, is quite good at centre-back. I thought Zinchenko actually was the problem at left-back. I think sometimes when you get a winger who really gets at him, he, he's just not a natural defender. And I think he gets himself into some bad situations, commits silly fouls. Uh, yeah, so uh, there are some weaknesses there. OK. What, what about Everton then, Carl? Have you got some positives for them after their fourth defeat in five? I'm pulling a face. Not really. But they played. They did well here. They played. They? they played in good patches and you know had eight shots on target. Uh, Calvert Lewin, he's not a nine. He's really, really good in the air and an exceptional header of the ball, especially on the back post. But I don't think he's a number nine. I think whatever Moise Khan is recovering from, they should give him more Calpol and say, "Hurry up, we need you." Right. Um, because they need some uh, a more clinical edge in front of goal. Did you prefer Calvert Lewin's header or Gabriel Jesus's kind of jumping, stooping effort? Oh, I think Calvert Lewin nicking right. a goal off a teammate is. <laughs> 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 okay. All right. City will be hosting Dinamo Zagreb on Tuesday, as I mentioned, from five a.m. on Tuesday morning. You can catch our Euro edition with all the info on Dinamo Zagreb and the other teams involved. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Nearly dying in a laundry basket. Special. Winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games? Not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18 plus On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Listen, what are you up to tonight? If it's heading to Totally Live at the Southbank Centre this Monday evening, then uh, that's great. Look forward to seeing you. And please use the hashtag TFSLive to get your questions into us. Always welcome questions from the floor. Uh, Michael, speaking of live shows, we can now confirm that you are going to be part of our Backstops Back tour in Belfast and Dublin. Friday the 8th in Dublin, Saturday the 9th of November in Belfast. Yeah, very much looking forward to it. I've always had a nice time in Dublin and haven't been to Belfast before, so looking forward to them both. You've got a treat in store. Julian and Duncan, by the way, will be in Liverpool with us with Raphael Honigstein for our show in that fair city which is on the 25th of november so if you fancy coming down we'll be in liverpool 25th of november anyway all the info and tickets can be acquired uh, at the totallyfootballshow.com forward slash events right let's have a look now at the rest of the top four which for now carl anker is leicester and west ham incredible what a time to be alive right no it's brilliant isn't it? it, it mean, is good having a little gate crasher are leicester do you think leicester are going to be still that they'll still be there at the end of the season? Because a lot of people, that's the question they're asking. Could they make the top four? No, okay. I don't think so. I think there's not. they don't have the required uh, squad depth to, to well, just go through the slog that is. John Wright won't be surprised to hear you say that. His question is, bar Pep and Klopp, is Rodgers the best coach in the league? And how long until pilots finally see that this Leicester side is top four material? Will it take till March like it did when we won the league? 
Because <laughs> that's what they were saying back then, no? I do remember just after Rogers was appointed, I was on this podcast and I said, I don't like this move and I don't think Rogers would do well at Leicester. Right. And Michael went, why is that? And my brain went blank. and I have no idea. I've just had a hunch. So right. I clearly you, don't wrong, know what I'm talking about. Wrong as it turns um, Rogers is a good manager. He's not the third best manager in the league. Pochettino is still right there. Is he? Um, pound for pound, <laughs> if that term makes any sense. Yeah. I think Rogers does well, but also he does overthink things and he can drop a clanger every now and again. Bear right. in mind, he did play Emre Chan at right centre-back for a long time at Liverpool. Fair. Okay. But on this occasion, Sunday afternoon against 10-man Newcastle, he certainly didn't. But then again, if you're not going to smash in five against 10-man Newcastle, you know, when? When are you going to? Yeah, it was a funny game. I mean, in terms of how, Le- how good Leicester are this season, um, I was tasked with writing something about Leicester after this game and looked at the numbers and you look at the expected goal numbers, which I know you absolutely love, James. No, I do, actually. And uh, in terms of goals for, expected goals for, Leicester are fourth bottom in the league. Really? Which is remarkable considering they're third and remarkable considering they're such an attack-minded side who keep possession, who have you know two playmakers together, but they're just not creating very good chances. And I think this game showed... Why they're doing well, because they their finishing was exceptional. I right. thought the goal from Pereira with his weaker foot was a brilliant hit. Vardy, that kind of classic Vardy goal from an angle. Then you had an own goal, a slightly uh, fortunate one from Ndidi. But the only real clear-cut chance they created was the Vardy-headed goal. Right. Um, and so that's why they're doing well. They're finishing chances rather than creating them. Usually that proves unsustainable. So I'm not, I'm not particularly convinced by them at the moment, although I do like Rodgers and I, I hope they get better because they're a great side to watch. Uniquely, uh, both, all of both teams' shots on target went in in this mm. game. Interesting. Because yeah. Newcastle didn't have any. What, <laughs> where do you stand on, on Leicester as potential top fourers? Uh, I think they're the best of the rest in terms of top six. I think the, the variable this season is not necessarily how good Leicester are, but just how bad other potential normal top six finishes how far they fall because if they fall far enough then Leicester are perfectly capable of eclipsing one or two of them I'm not sure about top four but mm. um, yeah I picked them to finish seventh but that's dependent on on other clubs above them not completely falling A over T so we'll see okay uh, re-Newcastle mm. have you done yes. winners and losers yes today? I have and, and was yes. Steve Bruce in your he losers was, yes, he is was. that fair though <laughs> yes I think it is fair all right um, it's it, it's not just that they were humiliated. It's not just that at the end of the game he said tactics are a nonsense. It's about playing with pride and ha- waiting for people to point out that they didn't actually do that either. It's the fact that every Newcastle fan saw this coming. This was utterly predictable, that if you trade in a European-class manager for a championship-class manager, then things are probably going to get worse. And Yeah, it doesn't look good for him. It has to be said, you know, Newcastle, I think twice in 146 games, Newcastle conceded more than three goals under Benitez. That was Liverpool away and Man United away. Right. Uh, And they've done it already and they've done it at Leicester. They conceded three goals at Norwich and should have conceded more. They're completely abject at home to Brighton, which actually is arguably the most embarrassing performance of the lot. They've only played seven games. It's not good. It's not good at all. I thought it was a strange selection from him as well. He went with two forwards. Yeah. Muto, I, I don't really get as a centre forward. offer anything, does it? No, I thought they... This isn't usually a criticism I'd say of a team because I don't think it generally is a factor in football these days, but they look quite lightweight going forward. Mm. Muto, Almiron and Atsu just got shrugged off the ball really easily. Uh, Almiron, for example, is Newcastle's most talented player. He's played seven games in his career at right wing. Two of them were for Lanus when he was in Argentina and four of them under Bruce. So there's just no need, there's no reason. If you're, not, if you're going to pick a player out of position, don't pick him. Like play Muto on the right, pick someone else, pick another midfielder. The thing, just... is, the thing is with Almiron, like, I understand your point, but 
He's played what fifteen games as a number ten. He hasn't scored or assisted. No, no, no. I agree. You want to play him into. You want him to get to know the Premier League. I think if you're a number ten these days, you kind of have to accept maybe being played out of position sometimes okay. if you're not if you're not pr- providing the goods. The problem is, is no. I mean, nobody's playing well. You look at last season's team and you think Sean Longstaff burst through. He's now gone back. The centre backs were well organised under Benitez. They were so open for that Pereira goal. You know, Sunes picked them apart on Sky Sports. Almiron did look bright when he arrived. Rondon was great last season and Benita said, do not spend £40 million on Joe Linton. Just get Rondon in. That now looks exactly right. It's just bad news after bad news. Can, can we just quickly slag off Isaac Hayden for one of the most oh. ridiculous tackles I've seen <laughs> this season? Oui. I mean, it was so bad. I mean, obviously it's a really dangerous tackle and, and rightly a red card, but why would you go into a tackle like that? It was just pointless. The, the, he was kind of, the ball was his. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't a 50-50. Yeah. He was more... You know, he got to the ball first. There's absolutely no need to clatter into play like that. Mm. I mean, it's not the first time he's got a straight red for Newcastle. The night's getting longer, winter's drawing in. It feels like time for a takeover story. Absolutely. And, and one, lo and behold, surfaced this weekend in some, I mean, mm. I would call them newspapers, but... Yeah, well, it was, it's, it. a, it's, a, it's another Peter Kenyon fueled thing. And, right. and actually, Has he tried that already? Yeah, there's, well, it's actually, it's not really any news. What it is, is that Kenyon is a man who is happy and wants to front a takeover bid so he wants to attract investors into a bid that he's then fronts so it's him looking to create yeah ta- so every takeover. time there's a rumor that a company might be interested right in putting together a bid not even making a bid or having one accepted it becomes a news story so i can you can see why newspapers are picking up because it is potential news but it is only that potential and it will probably come to nothing like all the others right let's move on then carl to the top club in london this monday morning West Ham. Right. And who's that thanks to? Yarmolenko. Yeah. He's yeah. proper good. It's so bizarre thinking about the attacking personnel West Ham now have. For you consider the many, many, many average strikers they've signed on the, the Golden Sullivan era. And now they've got Halle, Yarmolenko. They've got options and they've got a talented manager. They've got a clear plan and they can do great things. Mm. You just hope they don't West Ham it. Should be said as well that Lucas Fabianski sounds like he's going to be out for up to three months. Yeah, that's which is a massive blow because Roberto is very much the backup option at number two. So that is a huge thing. Okay, I was going to ask, do you think they can keep this up? But you think that's no, that I could be the key. key yeah, factor. they're too. They're just they seem just a little bit too flimsy in defence, particularly away from him. I think they'll be in the lower band of the Premier League middle class. So right. that middle class of Leicester, Everton, Wolves what we assumed was Watford and Southampton-ish. I think West Ham will be in there or thereabouts, perhaps near the bottom bit. So maybe top half to 12th okay. is where you're expecting West Ham to finish. I never, ever want to see Jack Wilshere play in a midfield two <laughs> again. Never, ever, 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 ever. Don't what? do that. Why, Carl? Because he can't do it. And it's been evident for more than five years. And every time West Ham fans or football fans see Jack Wilshere in a midfield two in a lineup, they're going, well, West Ham are losing today. Woo. Yeah, he got a point this time. He's... When he plays, he's lost most of his other games. So why does Pellegrini, Premier League winner Pellegrini, why does he do it? I think Wilshire plays because he's one of the only players in that squad that can kind of carry the ball from midfield to attack, and they can look quite isolated without him. Particularly Antonio is now injured. If you play Rice and Noble, they just kind of sit, and then there's a big gap to anyone up front. So that's why he plays. But I agree with Carl. I don't think he's good enough to do it in a two. He just leaves them exposed. Lovely stuff, Daniel. Uh, before we wrap up this part and move on to the game, I'm really excited about Yeovil Bromley. 
Uh, Carl, you went along to the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Is that what they're calling it? Can we keep calling it the, new, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? Is it called the Tottenham Hotspur I'm Stadium? I'm just calling it White Hart Lane. Yeah, I like that, actually, yeah. but I'm not sure if anyone's joining you on that. No, I got told <laughs> off for doing it on Twitter by someone. But that's only going to make you do uh, it more, White, I suspect. White Hart Lane got knocked down two years ago, mate, someone said. Very good. Right. In that exact voice, yeah. probably. <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway, Carl, you went there uh, to see... Spurs take on Saints, a 2-1 victory despite the best efforts of goalkeeper Hugo Lloris. It was a curious game, uh, really intense uh, for about 15 minutes. Well, so Harry Kane, again, proper talismanic performance. Son looking like one of the best players in Europe on the counter-attack. Mm. I have no idea why Real Madrid didn't try and buy Son in the summer. He is exactly what they need and they should have got him and Hazard and maybe left Luka Jovic for one more season at Frankfurt. Um Southampton were undone by Cedric just pulling out half an hour before kickoff. Uh, so the initial lineup had them playing in a 4 2 2 2. Cedric's going to play right back. And then half an hour, 20 minutes before the lineup, Cedric just disappeared. Uh, Hassel was the angriest I've seen him in the press conference. Really? When asked about it, he said, I don't know what's happened. It's really important. It's really, uh, I'm not pleased with it. I haven't spoken to him since. He was furious about the defending for the second goal. Yeah. Um, he wants his team to tactically foul because they're vulnerable on counter-attacks and no one, basically no one put a boot in on Harry Kane when he started the second goal. Is that why Spurs look so much more lively in this game? The fact they were getting, they were getting a bit more of a, a, an easier ride? Yes. So Ryan Bertrand was doing what Ryan Bertrand does which is bomb forward on the left and try and get in loads of crosses and then obviously get Serge Aurier sent off. Serge Aurier making... He's got a brick where his brain should be... <laughs> Uh, as a fullback and then when Spurs dropped down to 10 men Musa Suzoka was at right back and you're right. going just get at him all the time which Bertrand was doing making overlapping runs underlapping runs getting loads of crosses in to no one because Danny Ings not quite there James Ward-Prowse not that sort of full, not that sort of midfielder he was also playing at right wing back there's just a real glitch in Southampton shooting where they're quite good in XG. They're third in the league for XG. So they're scoring, they've scored seven goals on an XG of around about 11. Mm. And you're like, this isn't good enough for a team that wants to be in the top half. Um, but Spurs, yeah, they really needed that. Pochettino, that's the first time I've seen a Pochettino press conference. And I had to ask my colleague, uh, does he always bring up the Champions League final? Because he brought up the Champions League final a lot. Did he? You've got to bear in mind, we're, you know, we're. Europe Champions League finalist. When you attack, when you write bad things about my club, you know my staff, my family. You do this thing. You bear in mind where we were in the Champions League final. Mm. Repeatedly mentioned this. He adores Hugo Lloris. Does he? Yeah. Uh, he said, "Do not say anything bad about him. Anytime you okay. want to say anything bad about Hugo Lloris, blame me because I'm the one telling him to do things such as that." What this this brings us onto a question that Steve Malanga asks. Thank you, Steve. He says, "Yet another giveaway by a keeper in his own box." Leaves me wondering if any of the analytics types have tried to calculate the risks of playing from the back versus the rewards of building from the back. Seems to me like teams are overdoing it. I don't have any stats on it, but I think it's a classic example of something where you you remember where it goes wrong, yes. and you don't necessarily remember when your team plays out successfully, has a spell of possession in midfield and then launches an attack. So mm. I, I think you're especially, um, I'm not questioning how much uh, football the question is watched, but I think if you just watch Match of the Day, yeah, every time you see a keeper trying to play out, you know what's coming next. Right. Whereas when you watch five matches a weekend, for example, you see actually... On a quiet weekend for you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, it's one of those things where highlights... Yeah. It's a bit like corners, like... 
corners don't lead to many goals. Right. And everyone thinks their team is bad at corners. But when you watch match of the day, there'll be three goals from corners. You think, oh, why are we so bad at corners? What else for you is is like Chekhov's gun when you when you see it in match of the day? Obviously, a first yellow card. That's that's. A that's massive a, that's a red light on the Seeing dashboard. the kickoff is always good. That yeah. means you know there's an early goal if you see the kickoff <laughs> yeah, being taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing Definitely. a substitute. Oh, yeah. this is so-and-so. He's coming on. Can he change the game? Yeah. We're about to find out. <laughs> this is a slightly different uh, topic, but there's mm. a there's a difference in the way that Match of the Day and Sky's highlight shows treat a VAR goal that doesn't count. So Match of the Day changed the scoreboard to 1-0. Whereas Sky keep it nil nil. So they they, oh. they go with the original error. Yeah, yeah. And then re- so on Sky, if you if you're clever and you can look at the top left of the of the screen, right? You, if they go to VR, you know what's going to happen. I see. Uh, Michael, have you got any more of a grip on Saints briefly? Because you were saying the other day you didn't really. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Carl's, Carl's the man for Saints. I'm I'm happy to defer to his uh, judgment. Okay. But no, I do. I mean, this is another game where I find them confusing. I would have backed them from that situation against ten yeah. men, and they just seem to collapse. They, they have got a real issue with kind of making the most of being handed the initiative. They Last season, I, I was looking at this the other day, last season they, they lost 29 points from le- leading positions, wow. which is like 11 more than next the next in the division. And obviously they didn't do that here, but they did also play against 10 men for a period of time, which yeah. should have handed them the initiative. And they just kind of just pass it up, which I don't know. I don't know. I don't, if, I don't know if Hasselhutten is kind of saying to them, we need to be a backs to the wall team, and then they kind of forget how to play when the backs aren't against the wall. Like, but they should be. He should be better than that. They should be better than that. They should. They are frequent. They are timid in front of goal, and they are making far too many individual defensive errors. So oh, yeah. there, there was a, James Will Prowse playing right wing back, and was very clearly told stand in between Son and Danny Rose, cut off that passing channel, do that sort of press. And there was a moment. Um, right on the right-hand side in the first half where Ward-Prowse was stood there and Russell was just screaming at him, just stay there, do that, do that, wait, wait. Danny Rose got on the ball and they went, now go. And you could see Ward-Prowse sprint up to Danny. Danny Rose was sort of like, oh God, had to turn around, play out. The ball went off for a throw-in. Mm. You could see Russell go, excellent, amazing. He goes, keep doing that. And that was the plan for the first 15 minutes. And then Danny Rose sort of went, oh, I'll just chip you. And then he chipped Son, Son went on his merry way. Southampton centre-backs aren't particularly fast. Son is amazing at doing counter-attacking things. And then, lo and behold, the goal in 24th minute to Ndombele. That was, uh, and, and then the, the, the winner, I thought was, that was fabulous. That was classic yeah. Spurs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and I mean, I was on this podcast last Monday and, mm. and we spoke about the goal they scored at Leicester and I said it was exactly what you want from a front three combining. This was even better, wasn't it? Ericsson, Son and Kane all contributed twice in the same move. Obviously, Carl came at it from a Southampton perspective, and it's not a great goal to concede, but I thought that interplay, oh, yeah. if you're playing that system, mm. was just brilliant. I should, we should say, for Spurs, that is a heck of a win because their knives would have been out if they'd have not right. beaten Southampton at home. And they've now got, as Pochettino will point out, they've now got more points than the same stage last season. Well, you know, at the end of last season, they were in the Champions League final, Daniel. So when they, they go back into the Champions League this Tuesday... I will be there. Are you going to go along? Yes, I'm at Spurs Bayern. I mean, as I mentioned, we're going to do previews on yes. Tuesday, but how do you think they're going to get on against Bayern Tuesday well, night? Again, last season, they only took one point from the first two Champions League games, and as Pochettino will be happy to remind us, got to the final. I think they'll take a draw against Bayern. If they draw this game against Bayern, having disappointingly drawn away from home in Olympiacos, having led, they're in absolute pole position to come second in the group, which is kind of fine, I think. Red Star taking on Olympiacos in the other game in that group, but more of that kind of thing on Tuesday. 
Listeners, 442 is the thinking fan's favourite football brand for those who value access, insight and humour in their coverage of the world's greatest sport. From grassroots to top leagues, 442's writers bring together the biggest names and stories to take you behind football's velvet rope. For example, they've got exclusive interviews with Jurgen Klopp, Raheem Sterling and Rafa Benitez coming up, as well as a special issue dedicated to what really happens day to day in football management. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can pick up a subscription to 442 and get three issues for just one pound. All you have to do is visit myfavouritemagazine.co.uk slash TFS19 or call 03448482852 and quote the code TFS19. Do it today and you'll also get a free 442 25th anniversary collection ebook worth £10. That's three issues for just one pound when you go to myfavouritemagazines.co.uk slash TFS19. TFS19 or dial 03448482852 and quote the code TFS19442. It's football's most insightful read. Mark Cole says, Can you talk about Yeovertown Ball Boy Ferrari? Is that uh, how you say it? What? Yeah, Ferrari. How would you say it? I've been saying Ferrari for years. Oh, God. I, to be fair, I'm not really sure, Ferrari. but I would say Ferrari. And it rhymes with story as well, which is nice. Uh, <laughs> is that <who's>, <laughs> Who saw what happened in the National League this weekend? It was Yeovil against Bromley at Hewish Park. Uh, Yeovil uh, taking on the National League leaders here. After just 120 seconds, the match has to be stopped because Bromley's keeper, Mark Cousins, gets stretched off after what looks like quite a serious injury. has a clash with uh, Rhys Murphy and the game's suspended for 18 minutes. Bromley didn't have a sub goalie on the bench, so one of their outfield players, defender Chris Bush, had to step in and, you know, don the gloves. And he does brilliantly. He's keeping out everything Yeovil are throwing at the league leaders. And Bromley then go ahead on 22 minutes and they maintain that lead right until the end of the first half when Yeovil pull one back. But they're holding on with Chris Bush there in in net uh, at 1-1 until the 72nd minute when there's this extraordinary own goal. It's own goal of the season, I would suggest. It's a cross that comes in, and you've got three Bromley players back there ready to uh, deal with the issue. Two of them pass it between themselves, kind of inadvertently, it kind of bounces between them, and then goes to a third one who, standing about a metre from the goal, basically just shoots <laughs> at his own goal. I assume looking at it that he's attempting to pass it to the keeper, but why he doesn't just leave it for the keeper to go? But he actually passes it back into the net. Now uh, Bromley are trailing. Uh, Yeovil are ahead. They make it 3-1 shortly after this and basically at this point decide to just kill the clock by the, the, the ball boys start wasting time. The referee gets really upset, shows one ball boy a red card and then uh, about a minute later, sends off all the rest of the ball boys. Did he actually show him a red card? Do you know, I'm not sure. I think I'd he, love to hit that ball. All you see on the video is a yeah. is a ball boy climbing oh, over the advertising hoarding and wandering off, and then the referee sending all the rest of them away, which was even even more brilliant because when uh, the ball had to be retrieved after this, the referee had to run and do it, <laughs> which is which is excellent. <laughs> Ed Quoth Raven says, after what happened at Yeovil, what is everyone's favourite moment of ball boy stroke girl uh, business? You're not going to top that, are you? Well, no. Yeah. Are you? The Eden Hazard. The thing. Swansea. But that was br- that was one of my favourite things. He literally kicked yeah. a ball boy, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. He wasn't a ball he didn't boy. Kick he was a the man. Ball boy. <laughs> well, he kicked the ball. He kicked the ball was... that was under the ball boy. Well, the bo- but the, the ball boy was between his foot and the ball. <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't recall this, Daniel. 
This is yeah, a what? Well, a League Cup, was it? Yeah, Down so it was. League, League Cup semi final. Yeah. The year when Swansea went on to win it. Uh, Swansea led from the first leg. Chelsea, you know, they were wasting time a little bit in the second leg. Ball goes out behind the goal, goes straight to a ball boy who basically lies on it. Yeah. Eden Hazard comes along, tries to get it out from underneath him. <laughs> Can't. So it's almost like he realises there's like a release button. If he just <laughs> kicks him <laughs> in the back of the leg... I think he just kicked the ball. He actually kicks the... Also, a very important back. thing that gets overlooked. The ball boy was 18, 17, 18 years of age. He had been brought out of retirement for that game. And he had tweeted... I think a week prior, like, been brought up retirement for this game. Going to bring out some time-wasting classics. No, no, it, right. was, it, was, it was hashtag needed for time-wasting. That's the one. It's <laughs> great. And, I mean, my favourite thing about this was that I just watched it in a pub full of Chelsea fans. <laughs> and I've never seen a set of supporters so outraged at any refereeing decision ever. It was fantastic. Brilliant. That was Hazard got suspended, didn't he? Presumably. Yeah. Uh, very good. Anyway, that was uh, top stuff from Yeovil and Bromley. Uh, further up in the championship, there were some big stories. These will all be covered in the Totally Football League show. But Daniel, you'll be, I'm sure, keen to discuss how you woke up on Saturday morning to find Nottingham Forest top of the championship. Yeah, we're not there anymore, but yes, top of the championship after beating Stoke on Friday evening. All right. It's all uh, looking worryingly good. All right. A lot better than it is for, say, Philip Cuckoo's derby. Yeah, although they won. They beat Birmingham 3 oh, yeah. too, yes. Right. And Cuckoo's... Uh, Koku's celebration at full time was of a man who has had a hard week and was relieved by the results, shall we say. Really horrible uh, incident, that. I'm not sure if the dynamics exactly of the of the crash is... They are, uh, I think it's fair, they are still alleged, the the dynamics of the crash. But right. yes, um, a, an awful week for, for all concerned and absolutely Sixth shameful behaviour. Captain behavior. Richard uh, Keogh. Yeah, who, who, from what I've heard, is his career is quite probably over, which is a pretty emphatically bad way to end what has been a de- very decent career. Uh, on the subject of the game, there was an interesting uh, story involving Birmingham this morning where a Birmingham fan has, on Twitter, has seen a video of Rhoda JC in Holland. A group of fans stormed the director's box and basically kicked the owner out of the ground. Mm. This Birmingham fan has suggested that they should do the same at Birmingham. And one of the directors has responded to this tweet with, uh, you want to come? I will be there waiting for you. <laughs> Which, Good. Uh, Come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see that. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, we'll be monitoring that story. Of course, more details in the Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker on Wednesday. Excellent. Back to the Premier League. A Carl with a clean sheet klaxon for Chelsea. Zaha, very much on fire as uh, Crystal Palace did Norwich. 2-0. Villa and Burnley, 2-2 in the Battle of the Clarets. And Wolves getting a win at last. 2-0. Over Watford. Uh, the Hornets putting the WTF into Watford <laughs> now. Uh, second time they've gone 2-0 down against Wolves, but this time there was no comeback like in that FA Cup mm. semi-final. And I, I see that they've now got two points from a possible 21 this season, conceding 20 goals. That's worse than Cardiff and Huddersfield last season. So as the red-haired dude asks, who's in a worse situation between Watford and Newcastle? And will we see Watford sack two managers before any other Premier League side has even sacked their first? They, they thought the weirdest thing about, or the worst thing probably for Watford, is that they've look at the teams they've lost to, and they've lost to teams in 13th, 15th, 16th and 19th. So it's not as if they've played all the best teams. They, yeah, they have got, it should be said, they have got some pretty gentle home fixtures coming up. And they've got like Sheffield United and Burnley and... 
Bournemouth and uh, so they're not necessarily easy. No, games, well, no, not I mean, considering United away from. No, them. Well, there's no easy games at this level. <laughs> well, there isn't when you keep shelling. Watford, but that's the one team they can't play. <laughs> Maybe they should organise a sort of intra-squad friendly just for confidence. Right. Yeah. Um, we laugh, but obviously it's far from a, a laughing matter for Watford it fans. Is the point. They they removed. Yavi Gracia at the wrong time. That was a that was a late dismissal, and then the replacement for Sancho Flores is baffling. So they're in this weird space. Is it baffling? Why? It just seems to be they sort of hired him because he already had a car parking space. So they're, they're, I don't understand why you'd bring in a manager who was fine when his sort of merits are he knows the squad, yeah, but all the players he knew are a bit older, a bit slower, and. and you'd want them to be moved on as you can progress this Watford team to, to new heights. Kind of saw, I kind of saw the logic because I kind of saw the idea that, you know, you get, if you get a guy, you're more likely to get this new manager bounce if you get someone that knows the squad. And, and Is that right? Well, Flores is, I think Flores is, his thing was organising, was making Watford organise and Brasier right. made them better, you know, better in, in the attacking third. But, well, they've conceded 12 goals in three games since well, he came back. I'm, so. I'm going to say that, I mean, is it fair to suggest that he's only just arrived kind of with the season already started and maybe after the international break, which yeah. is after the next round of football, we'll, we'll get a chance to see properly what... Yeah, absolutely. What I mean, they, they, you know, we joke about, will they sack him? Obviously not. They'll give him at least until March. Brilliant. <laughs> but... Yeah, okay. they, they do have some gentle home fixtures. Well, let's move on then to uh, Wolves and the 15th game of the season, this. Yep. Yeah, crazy. They look like it. Uh, number 16 is coming up on Thursday. That's against Besiktas. Speaking of goalkeepers called Loris who uh, have a bit of a problem, Loris Karius still very much uh, minding net for the Turkish side and you, you no doubt saw what he got up to last week, did you? The... Yeah, yes. that header back. Yeah, great. Anyway, so uh, but that's good, isn't it? Yeah, Wolves getting a 2-0 win, that's great for them. Yeah, they look better. They played 3-4-3 three, three here, which is the system they were playing roughly this time last year. Switched to 3-5-2. I thought it was interesting that Matt Doherty was so prominent in this game because I think the way he plays, I think he seems to combine well when he's got a player ahead of him to play one-twos with rather than just dominating or having to try and dominate that whole flank himself. So, yeah, that was good to see because I think Matt Doherty is just... Like, everyone likes him, don't they? Hmm. The other thing for Wolves is that the league is so bunched up that they now are only four points off Spurs in fifth. So it's not as if you know there's any catastrophic damage done by their start to the season, which is, yeah. That's remarkable, isn't it? Mm. Spurs, uh, one of five teams, level on 11 points. So, yeah, Palace, who are down in ninth place, are, are, are there as well. Only goal difference outside of, of fifth. Palace with that 2-0 win at the weekend over Norwich. Uh, Zaha looking... Uh... You mentioned Zaha. I, I actually think that uh, the biggest difference this season has been Gary Cahill, who okay. I didn't really... I kind of thought that was a move. Which, it was an easy and obvious move for him, but I didn't think it would necessarily come off. But they've conceded one goal in four home games and they look much more solid with him in the team. I mentioned Zaha because I only saw this on Match of the Day, so <laughs> oh. that was the thinking there. Eagles equaling their Premier League record of six unbeaten home matches mm. and the incredible stat, and this truly is jaw-dropping, is that in 2019 so far, having, what's that, nine months, only Man City, Liverpool and Arsenal have won more points than Palace. Uh, it, it defies understanding, for me at least, although I suspect it might be the last time we get to use uh, similar stats because their run uh, after this is West Ham away, then Man City at home, then Arsenal away, then Leicester at home, then Chelsea away, then Liverpool at home. That's pretty grim. Ah. It is, but they're really good against big sides. Yeah. Well, they can beat City and it's Arsenal. So, right. <laughs> Okay, more problems for Norwich, meanwhile. 
uh, yeah, injuries piling up for them. <laughs> yeah. A little bit worrying. I'll tell you mm. what I liked about this game. You right? The kits. Red and blue stripes against yellow-green fade just looked great. I really mm. enjoyed it visually. What did you feel about Everton Man City on a kit uh, well, front? Which ice cream is it that Man City... Solero. Is, is Solero? Oh, no, I no. think it's... I think it's like fab. 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 No, well, Fab's me, the one which is white and brown. It's, 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 it's the, the rocket. rocket. It's the rocket. rocket. You're, you're rocket. thinking of the rocket, but rocket. it's a Solero. Yeah. Ice is now, no, Solero, Bar- Solero is a block orange, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is I think the packet yeah. has a uh, as a gradua- uh, graduation uh, of uh, uh, of colour, but this, I mean, B- Barcelona looked to me like an Abu Dhabi sunset. I think. Okay. Yeah, that's a nice. Right. That's Yellow and then pink. Yeah. With that kind of fade. Okay. Aston Villa had a two-two draw with Burnley. That's now eight points dropped from winning positions by Aston Villa. Yeah, another game where VAR was prominent. McGinn scored a goal and celebrated with a VAR-based celebration. Nice, yeah. Having earlier had one disallowed through VAR. Right. And uh, Tottenham had referred back to their previous weekend's disallowed goal with more of a pre-planned VAR celebration, more choreographed. I would Did say they walk was. over to the side or something like that? And Dombele <laughs> ran to the corner where Serge Aurier was waiting with a finger in his ear and they right. sort of looked left, looked right finger wag it counts and then went back <laughs> right. went back Actually, to sentence I don't think they've decided how many points they'll be deducted for that yet but it will be in the post yes. I assume it will start you, you take your stand against that guy. I think the only way I will accept a VAR celebration if one player has to act as the monitor it's the only <laughs> way I'll accept it okay sort of stare into the face of a teammate to watch it I imagine VAR celebrations will be gently banned before the really? end of the season I, I think you can get yellow card if we're doing a VAR, a VAR in sort of like a waving a imaginary card an imaginary VAR you're doing it sarcastically maybe you get away with it I don't know if you're doing it in celebration I think it's just reflecting the society I mean blame society don't blame the celebration <laughs> I thought Chelsea, this was, there's been now four five incidents now where a, a team obviously when they have a goal chalked off a VAR yeah. concede immediately which is yeah. one of those things that I can't quantify yet but I am like I, yeah, slowly I, filling I, a spreadsheet I, yeah, I, I wrote about it last week. I think that's yeah. a massive thing for teams. that, um, And it's also, I, I suspect, and I don't know this, but I suspect it's something that managers absolutely didn't think about at the start of the season, the psychological, short-term psychological impact of thinking you've scored. The Chelsea one last weekend was the perfect example because obviously Aspilicueta scored and then the marking for the goal, for the Liverpool second goal, was absolutely abject. And I think there is a sense of, oh, we thought we were level. Oh, no, everything's falling around rounders oh, we've now lost concentration, bang, 2-0 down. The margins are so tight. So I think I genuinely think the managers missed that. Mm. It was quite a good game, I thought. Actually. Which Villa Burnley? Yeah, I didn't, have, I didn't have great expectations for this one. And some of the football was a little bit rudimentary. I mean, all four goals were scored from crosses. All four goals were scored from crosses. Mm. But it was really eventful. And credit to Sean Dyche as well. He changed things at half-time, went 4-3-3. I think not just worked going forward, but also pinned back the, the Villa fullbacks a little bit and... Uh, Nice to see Jay Rodriguez on the score sheet. Yeah, Villa back uh, in the bottom three now, uh, alongside Newcastle on five points, three ahead of Watford, and one behind Norwich and Brighton. Brighton, who lost 2-0 at Chelsea, just to finish off the Premier League weekend. Chelsea picking up a clean sheet and a home win. And uh, Hudson-Odoi is back. Uh, Gautam Kahadkar. Hudson-Odoi is back. Uh, Carl, I know you spoke to him for the Players' Tribune, didn't you? I did indeed. Got a question here from Gautam Kahadkar, who says, is Chelsea's youth revolution here to stay? Which of the young players at Chelsea do the panellists genuinely think will make it? 
the youth revolution absolutely is here to stay. I think right. Lampard, uh, he's you know the transfer ban gave him more or less a free hit. Mm-hmm. Kind of, he, they are so much fun to watch. They are football manager esque in sort of blood all the youngsters. Let's see who sticks. Let's see what happens. And they've also got this fun thing with quite a few players who obviously played at through the youth team together. So Reese James and. Hudson Odoi very clearly play one twos off each other because they've been playing one twos since they were eight. Um, Tomori looks a revelation at centre back, mm. uh, and I think he'll probably be a mainstay in their defence going forward. Jorginho, it's quite nice that Jorginho is playing decent football. He's not a young one, but he's like, oh, you're not, you're not daddy's boy. You are a quality midfielder. Um, there's a lot to enjoy about this Chelsea team, which makes me quite annoyed because they're they're probably going to end up in the top four. Strangely enough, we'll, we'll see. How was Callum when you spoke to him? He was lovely, uh, very bright, uh, hilarious. Former professional footballer in Ghana for a team known as Hearts of Oak. Uh, so I went to watch Hud- uh, Hudson Odoi in the only 23 game. So he played there with Reese. Um, and obviously, you're, it was in St. Mary's, uh, playing from maybe a thousand people. So I could hear uh, Bismarck Odoi yell at his son and yell instructions to his son like a coach going no why are you cutting inside don't do that shoot now which is a real sort of that's that's a real footballing dad right right it, it was the same to do with peacocks yes yes uh so hudson Adoy got a very very good scholarship to whitgift school so whitgift okay. school uh elliot daly rugby player uh went there ian wright's son uh was there for a bit uh victor moses uh, graduate, so it's it's a very prestigious. Uh, lots, of, lots of cricketers, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Roy amongst them. Very, very prestigious uh, school, uh, private school in South London, which does a lot of sports scholarships, yes. doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, uh, does a lot of sports scholarships. Hudson Noy was one of the very first, uh, so, no, the second generation of footballers to get a scholarship there, and he told me a story about how when he was about ten years old, he walked up to the school grounds and he saw a peacock for the very first time, and he didn't know what a peacock was right and this peacock sort of eyeballed him and he's like, is it going to with his me? eyeballs or with his tail he eyeballed him and uh, chased him across the school grounds oh right uh, and more or less he spent the majority of his first school term at Whitgift just terrified of this oh, peacock. peacock that sounds like one of those stories of England bowlers that have learnt a weird way of running up because they had to learn in the garden <laughs> it's as if his speed came from being chased by peacocks right. as a child Brilliant. to kind of dampen the mood on the Chelsea youngsters oh yeah um Christian Pulisic yeah. again stayed on the bench and obviously now Hudson Adoy's back that makes it even less likely I suspect he's going to get minutes he's kind of suffering firstly because he wasn't bought by Frank Lampard mm. um, but secondly because they're playing loads of kids but they're playing kids that Jody Morris knows from working with the academy they're not necessarily if you're going to pick anything other than academy graduates you're going to pick experience so Pulisic is kind of betwixt and between in that Chelsea squad at the moment, and you do fear for him a little bit. Right. Although the season's long. Yes, the yes. season is long. Uh, unlike this podcast, although maybe that's not how you're feeling, listener, uh, you'll be <laughs> delighted to know that coming up soon, we'll be dipping into the mailbag uh, for some interesting questions and hopefully answers too. First, though, here is producer Ben. Thanks, Jimbo. It's over to Lee Price from Paddy Power to get those odds. Now, please, Lee, let's start with the Champions League. The English clubs, all four of them, getting victories in the Champions League this midweek? Hmm. Well, let's start with the obvious one. City are 1-16 to to beat Dynamo. It's also odds on they score four more goals in this game. Better value, perhaps, than them winning to nil, I think, which is 8-11. to 
Uh, Liverpool also a short price at home. They're one to four to beat Salzburg. Chelsea are evens to win at Lille. That's not an easy fixture, I know, but I think that's probably a decent price actually for Frank Lampard's men. We're less convinced about Tottenham though. Something you could probably copy and paste for most fixtures this season. They're nine to four to beat Bayern at home, with the Germans eleven to ten favourites in that game. For all four teams to win in the most patriotic acker ever, it's around seven and a half to one. Everton haven't had the best start to the season. Marco Silva's in all sorts of trouble. The international break is looming. Can you give us the market on the next Everton manager? I've said some ridiculous things in here before, but this might top the lot. Here goes. Our new favourite to succeed Marco Silva, who remains atop the sack race for now, is David Moyes. Yeah, seriously. He's 5-2 to two to be the next Everton boss. And there's also been a move in second place, well you'd hope so wouldn't you, with Chris Wilder now alongside former Liverpool manager Rafa Benitez at 7-2. Then you've got Eddie Howe, remember him, is 13-2, Mikel Arteta is 20-1, a curious mix, a bit like the Everton squad. And finally let's talk about the relegation market. The Magpies remain favourites for the drop, obviously. Perhaps the only surprise here is that it's taken this long for them to go odds on. They're now 10-11 to 11 to get relegated this season. Really kicking your way down there, Magpies fans. Sorry. Uh, Villa remain second favourites at 6-5, with Norwich, who have gone quiet over the last couple of weeks, completing our bottom three at 7-5. Both of those feel slightly harsh, but it is very tight in the betting down there. Watford are fourth favourites at 6-4, Sheffield United 15-8. Then you have Brighton at 21-10, ahead of Burnley at 7-2. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddypower app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, Sean McKenna says, here's a question for Carl. Who is the next United player to make a career-boosting move away from Old Trafford? I suspect this is after, obviously, Sanchez, who got a brace and then got sent off for uh, Inter against Sampdoria. Actually, had one of his goals taken oh, off get, him. Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah, fair. But anyway, yeah, yeah. The, his debut went well until he got the red card for diving. And, of course, Lukaku's done really well. And Chris Smalling, who was kind of man of the match in uh, Roma's uh, clean sheet win over Lecce. Who, who do you think's next then, Carl? It's Fred. Fred is going to go on loan in January and absolutely tear it up or whatever club he goes to next because Fred is not a bad football player. If, in a, if you give him a clearly defined role mm. in a team with a system of midfield play, Fred is a Champions League quality. Where would you like to see him go? Where, would he, where, where, where needs a Fred? You want a team that wants a box-to-box midfielder uh, and preferably has some pacey forwards. Okay. They're going to send him to Turkey, aren't they? Um, yeah, I was going to say, he's probably not going to get to pick his, no, <laughs> have no, his choice of clubs for his next Fred move. Fred is so. not a bad football player. He, there was a reason why Pep Guardiola was interested in him, and it wasn't just brinksmanship. Um, he was very bad against Rochdale in the League Cup last week, but that was largely because he clearly had, like, he's shorn of confidence. He's walking around this midfield going, "Who? what on earth is going on? Am I meant to sit and be the box-to-box guy? Am I meant to be helping Paul Pogba? Am I meant to... What? Uh, yeah, I've been dispossessed. Mm. Oh well, uh, great shout though. Anyway, Bill Billy Hush says, if Zonal Marking were manager of Man United, given the current squad, what formation would he use, and where would he play Paul Pogba? That's a question, isn't it? Or two, in fact. Mike has already explained that he isn't a manager, so he's got a That's perfect true, get-out clause here. I tell you, what I have liked about Manchester United in the first few games was I thought Martial did really well as a number nine, mm-hmm. which personally I haven't really seen. Okay, before. so you got Martial as your number nine, and I like his combination play with Pogba. Okay. I like Pogba the higher up the pitch he is. Would you play him in the hole? 
4-2-3-1, yeah. I've always thought Pogba's long-term future should be as like a second forward almost. I okay, so he'd be in the middle of the of the kind of the 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 three right three behind, behind a lone yeah. striker. I mean, and then on the wings, who do you have there? Rashford and Daniel James, I guess. Okay, certainly fair. Daniel James has been very good. All right then. Rashford, I'm not sure about him out wide. I think he's a better forward than he is a wide player, but I think Martial is a better forward than he is. If yeah. that makes yeah. sense. The lack of creativity in midfield, is that how would you resolve that? The midfield is not very good. The one thing I would say is, I think he gets a lot of stick because he just seems a bit basic. But I think Scott McTominay brings something to Manchester United that they don't have. I think he's, he's purposeful with his runs. I think his distribution's good enough. I don't think he's a great player, but I don't understand why people think he's such a figure of fun. There is just a distinct absence of a mobile defensive midfielder, which it is negligent that they didn't buy a central okay. midfielder. Like, you, you say mobile, at, so Herrera didn't do the job because he wasn't mobile. Is that Herrera was good at it and he was a large reason for that little bounce that Solskjaer had when he was the interim manager right. and then when he got injured, I think just before the Liverpool game, that's one reason why right. United's form fell off a cliff because he was the guy who sort of won the ball and gave it to Pogba. Right. Pogba Paul Pogba's got this Unfortunate problem where he looks like he can do everything, so many managers want him to do everything. Um, so one reason why France lost Euro 2016 but won the World Cup two years later is because 2016 final, they went, right, Pogba, you sit deep and let Sissoko bomb forward. And Pogba went, what? Really? Um, whereas in the World Cup final, they were sort of, right, Pogba, you got N'Golo Kante behind you. Do whatever you want. Right. So they should buy N'Golo Kante, basically. Yeah. What? <laughs> Idrissa Gay was right there. Is my is my like screaming pleading thing every yeah, time I watch PSG. Yeah. The, the, the reason that Leicester are really good is firstly because they have great fullbacks at the moment, which maybe Man United have, can have if Shaw gets fit and Wambazaka carries on. But they've also got really good central midfielders, and it, it is almost negligent, as Carl says, that they they didn't. Someone like Wilfred and Didi would have been absolutely perfect to Manchester United. Even Tielemans for forty million would have brought something. So I just, yeah, they've just made bad they decisions. They need someone to give the ball to Paul Pogba so Paul Pogba doesn't have to win the ball himself, then look left, then look right, and try and play it forward. You, you think, look at Paul Pogba's midfield partners. Uh, Marian Fellaini, the skeleton of Nemanja Matic, Andreas Pereira. <laughs> All right, Carl. Well, we'll see. Maybe Man United are going to are going to adopt some of those sound tactical principles for... Uh, tonight's match against Arsenal, which may well have happened by the time you hear this, listen, I hope you enjoyed it, if so. Uh, that, though, wraps it up for today's edition of the Totally Football Show. We're back tomorrow with our Euro preview with Rafa, Julian and James Horncastle. If you're coming along to the South Bank tonight, see you there. If not, we'll speak to you soon. Bye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.